0: You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House
1: podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcomb and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hi right, guys, uh, welcome. My name is Jay Randall Ori. Um, this is a Construction Monk video, and today I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine, Michael Halcom. He's a pastor and teacher in at, at a church at the Bridge Church. Is it in Honolulu? Yeah, Honolulu. All right, so uh, go ahead and just um, tell us who you are, your education, kind of what your ministry uh, ministry things you do.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've been in Oahu, Hawaii for about five years. Um, been doing several things here. I uh, served at a Christian university here for uh, the last five years. And then I've been pastoring. I'm a lead pastor of the Bridge Church of the Nazarene. I've been doing that for about three years, and um, I guess I yeah I have a long past with with academia. So I I've earned five degrees. So I did a bachelor's um, in biblical studies and youth and family ministry at Kentucky Christian University with a minor in preaching. From there, I went right into my MDiv. And uh, after that, did a Master's of Arts in Biblical Studies at Asbury Theological Seminary. Um, Also have a Master's of Arts in Linguistic Theory and Typology from University of Kentucky. And then I have uh, a PhD in Biblical Studies with a focus on New Testament from Asbury Theological Seminary. So I actually did a count once, and uh, the total from uh, my undergrad to the time I finished my last degree was more than k through twelve, so uh, <laughs> yeah, so I did something like twenty six or twenty seven grades or something like that.
1: Wow yeah. i from just from our interactions, you you seem to also have a focus on language. You mentioned one of your degrees was in linguistics, but
0: um, yeah yeah, so i've I've done a lot of language study and Uh, One of the things for me, sort of a big part of my career in academia has been teaching Greek, but teaching it conversationally. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about biblical Greek or point A Greek, uh, New Testament (laughs) Greek. And so my sort of shtick has been teaching that through speaking it. So Mm -hmm. when I teach my New Testament Greek class, probably upwards of 90% of it is taught in Greek. Mm -hmm. So so I'm speaking the ancient language as I teach it. So it creates a little bit of an immersive feel for the students. Mm -hmm. They begin to get a feel for the language and begin to be able to think in the language and then Mm -hmm. also speak in the language and respond in the language. Mm -hmm. And um, I find that's a great way to do vocabulary acquisition rapidly. Mm -hmm. And it just makes the language way more fun than studying a bunch of charts and tables and grammar rules. Um, So, yeah, I've done a lot with with language, but my interests have started shifting in the last several years, uh, kind of not fully away from language, but uh, largely toward like spiritual disciplines.
1: Okay. Yeah, you talked about, um, seems like your journey has been towards mysticism um, yeah. and that's been more, more dominant more recently.
0: Yeah, yeah. Folks like um, Ignatius mm-hmm. have have really uh, been influential on me with, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, the practice of lectio divina, mm-hmm. um, and I've kind of done my own little spinoff of that. Um, maybe we could call it something like narratio divina or something like that. Uh, more of an engaging in uh, the divine story,
1: mm-hmm. right? Uh, right. <laughs> thinking about it that way um that first part of that yeah. word is is probably talking more like narrative right
0: yeah yeah narratio. Yeah. sorry
1: yeah
0: yeah so thinking about the divine story and what is our place in that how do we enter into that um and you know bringing part of my frustration with Lectio Divina for example is that the way that's traditionally been practiced, you sort of just read a verse and then you imagine it and mm-hmm. you, you know, whatever sort of comes in the imagining, um, you sort of treat as a word of God or a revelation of God or something to that effect. And part of my problem with that is that it's a little empty because it fails to recognize contextual elements. So what I like to do is tell the story and help uh drop in ancient contextual elements mm-hmm. that help the story come to life and so you can see it in a more accurate kind of way um so that holistic say it again yeah more holistic yeah exactly yeah yeah so i've really um my language uh teaching sort of is is included in this because there's been a focus on embodiment and using the whole body and learning a language well that sort of like set me up to go into spiritual disciplines yeah. uh, using using the whole self and the whole body in prayer for example mm-hmm. uh, and including the imagination i think you know imaginative prayer is very very profound and uh, an incredible
2: spiritual gift yeah
1: yeah, I think um, I, I remember some of your um, musings from years and years ago to, you know, more philosophical, but I, I think we both probably are aware the roots of Christianity and especially Greek philosophy. It's been very intellectual, very, I think, very disembodied. I think mm. the, some of the more recent interest in mysticism and, you know, more ancient Christian faith has been the embodied in the more experiential. I think we're we're so heady, and I I think um, if I were, I just remember some of our exchanges long ago, it seemed like uh, we both came more out of that heady space early on in our journeys. Would you say that's true for you? Yeah, I think that's
0: definitely been true of me. I mean, um, I started in the Southern Baptist Church when I was a teenager, so my late years of high school, essentially, and then that's when I really became a Christian and uh they were functionally what i would say is Benitarian, right uh, i mentioned that word earlier to you before we started uh sort of the neglect of the spirit
1: yeah. um a very
0: mm-hmm. a very sort of low pneumatology and i went from the southern baptist uh congregation into what's known as a restoration movement bible college so the christian church bible college church to christ and um very very much the same thing uh you you almost couldn't tell the difference between southern baptists and the the christian church church of christ people except for the theology of baptism uh, and uh the, this you know a very low pneumatology so the spirit was in a way sort of neglected and i think words like mysticism are very terrifying uh to people who maybe tend to move in those circles. I'm not gonna say everybody, but right. yeah, I think mysticism is almost like a dirty word. It is, um, yeah. And it, you know, people hear that and they think you're practicing the dark arts or <laughs> you know, something along yeah. those lines. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if we need a more palatable word for people who are terrified by that. But mm-hmm. you know when I think of mysticism, I'm thinking of of a full yielding. Mm-hmm. to triune god um that includes my body mm-hmm. you know my body is not it is not to be uh separate from that
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: and uh still having a very healthy pneumatology and mm-hmm. understanding of the spirits and you know what the spirit's about
1: your spirit's up to and you know, real, yeah uh real yeah. quick define pneumatology
0: so yeah yeah so pneumatology is a really fancy $50 word that scholars like to use when they they mean like the study of the spirit or
1: beliefs about the spirit. Pneuma Um, is the Greek word. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really,
0: that's a mispronunciation of the Greek word. It's really pneuma. Really? People say, yeah, people say pneuma. Yeah, the P is there, right? Yep, yep. So really, it should maybe be pneumatology, but, uh, (laughs) you know, it is what it is.
1: Right. Well, so, You've kind of started to describe the church you've come into more recently. So uh, out of the Baptist into the churches of Christ. After that, where did you go?
0: Yeah, after that, I I ended up uh, a pastor for a while in a Christian church. And uh, things sort of came to a head on a Mother's Day back in 2007, Mm -hmm. I think. On this particular Mother's Day, I was saying, you know, why why. Why single out one group of women? Why? Why not? Why not take this annually and make it a day where we lift up and celebrate all the women in our midst, from youngest to oldest? And after that sermon, a group of male-only deacons and elders cornered me in the church and uh, told me, "You ruined Mother's Day." You know so. Uh, <laughs> And they said, you you just get up there and say whatever you want. And and I said, well, you know, I guess I'll say whatever I want here. I'm going to go home and write my resignation. You'll have it by noon. Um, And that's what I did. I went home and wrote my resignation after seven years there and handed it in that afternoon. And uh, we, uh, within six, seven months, I guess, had moved to Michigan and i I uh, joined the United Methodist Church where I was associate pastor and in Battle Creek just for a year and mm-hmm. was leading mm-hmm. worship. And uh, this was a new church plant. So that was my sort of formal entry in the United Methodist Church. Although theologically, I was always Wesleyan. I, I just, I didn't know it. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't know it. And so, you know, places like United Methodism and Asbury University, which isn't a United Methodist university, but or a seminary, um, that that sort of gave me the home and language, I guess, to put to to what I already knew I believed,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and uh, so my my exit out of the Restoration movement. Um, came largely just because of my affirmation of women in ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, United Methodists have historically affirmed that, and now I'm in the Church of the Nazarene, and we certainly affirm that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that what we would call non-complementarianism?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> I guess. We, are large, we are, I would say, you know, there are some probably Nazarenes who identify as complementarian, but uh, the overwhelming majority, and I think overwhelming majority mm-hmm. would not be complementary. you know, mm-hmm. non-complementarian. Um, they would be, you know, egalitarian. So right. for me, yeah. I believe that, I believe that, a a female can do whatever a male can do mm-hmm. you know, yeah. within the church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what, uh, my denomination, the vineyard has the same perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, they, had a, I had a great, uh, Brief foray into uh, the vineyard uh, as well while we were in Michigan, and mm-hmm. uh, we we were in a meeting in a theater for a while, and uh, that church no longer exists, but it was kind of kind of a fun time.
1: All mm-hmm. well, right, I think we can jump in. Uh, what I really wanted to get your insight into was this topic of truth. I've by the time this gets aired. I will have released four episodes on this same issue truth or specifically the authority of truth. So I just wanted to try to say, you know, show what does scripture say about the authority of God truths concerning the Bible and God himself. So I try to, I feel like there's these two kind of centers of Christian truth. We have scripture, we have this revealed word, but we have the source of that revealed word. And so I feel like some people obviously some churches more charismatic might lean too much towards spirit leading. And then more conservative might lead too much towards the written word. And so I was mm. what I tried to do was kind of like, let's put these together, which is a vine- very vineyard thing. We call that the radical middle, but like, what if it's both? You know, and, and how but you know, practically how how can we access both? and and access both in maybe in a god-led way so that anyway that's the that's kind of the theme but i feel like you have a good scholarly obviously five degrees you've got a, and you have the language background too so i think you have i feel like you have a lot of insight into not just scripture but your background too in more spirit-led type theology so
0: yeah I, well i you know, I'm a, in the Church of the Nazarene, and in some ways, I would say there there are a lot of Nazarenes who are, you know, I was talking earlier about the, the Christian Church, Church of Christ, and then the Southern Baptist churches. You you would maybe see regionally, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of congregations that have that same feel um, to them that may seem functionally uh, benetarian. But, of course, we, we're Wesleyan, so we're very thoroughgoing Trinitarians. Um, so part of what I do out here in Hawaii, I also, even though I'm a pastor in church in Nazarene, I work with YWAM, very sort of ecumenical in a lot of ways. Um, I work with King's Chapel, which is an Assemblies of God church. So I teach uh, for the School of Ministry. I'm usually working with YWAM, which is very charismatic, um, teaching for them two or three times a year and, uh, things like that. So, yeah, I think having a a robust pneumatology is very, very important, a sound pneumatology. Um, maybe that's sort of the place to start, like our view of the the spirit. Um, and so for me, like, I still affirm the idea of spiritual gifts. I'm not a cessationist. Yeah. um, Yeah. Someone who believes that all gifts have ceased, for example. Yeah. Um, I'm what I would call a, a cautious continuationist. Yeah. So I believe in the continuation of gifts. Right. But it's, it's exercised. I'm also cautious about being quick to say, oh, that was God. Like mm-hmm. I want to, I want to test the spirits and, right. and see was that indeed of the Lord or was that indeed God. And um, yeah, so I think for me, uh, having that. The sound pneumatology is very important.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned cessationism because I, I do mention that in the one of the podcasts. For me, that it's bigger than just the gifts of the spirit, because it's really rooted in do we have access to God today? Right. You know, I think I feel like you're more very ultra conservative, maybe we could say evangelical. It's like God gave the Bible and left in a sense, right, like God was able to communicate the Bible through people 2,000 years ago, but for some reason, God just was, you know, it's almost agnostic to me, right, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, God's really here and answers our prayers, but we don't have practical access, that's, that's hardline cessationism, right,
0: (laughs) yeah, and I I get it, it almost feels like a neo-gnosticism,
1: uh, yes, it does,
0: I hear what you're saying there, yeah, I, I think so, um, and I think again, that part of that happens because of a non-existent pneumatology or a low pneumatology mm-hmm. on one end, but then you get, you swing to the other end and it's a Yes, and it's, that also lends itself, I think, to a, just very different unhealthy pneumatology. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so for me, I mean, we can talk about this just for a couple of minutes, at least what is the the role of the spirit well let me back up let me well, let's think about the trinity together and in my own theology um i know we may have to pause here in a minute but
2: yeah
0: uh, thinking about trinitarian thought <clears throat> um the each of the members of the trinity for me has has sort of a main trait or a main role
2: right
0: and so when i think about the father i'm thinking about uh the pathos of the father. In other words, uh, the, the father's like chief trait is that he feels deeply, mm-hmm. like he feels deeply with humanity on behalf of humanity. And so when we're going through something, he feels it. Uh, when we do or say something that is treason against him, he feels it. So this pathos of God, mm-hmm. right? Um uh, think about the the sun i think ultimately about kenosis the self-emptying
2: yeah
0: of of the sun and so um, paul talks about that in philippians 2 where jesus was self-emptying and we we we're supposed to emulate this right Mm -hmm. um and when i think about uh the spirit i think the spirit's main trait is self-effacing and self-effacing means never taking the spotlight never yeah. being center stage, always. In fact, uh, the, the main trait of the spirit is to direct the gaze of anyone looking toward God to the father and the son. And so you, you can think about like a, a couple that's just been married and they're taking their wedding pictures. But when you're looking at the wedding picture, you see the groom and bride, mm. but you also know somebody was there to take the picture. We're just not, yeah. that's how the Holy Spirit is. He's, really always, he's always there, but never in frame to get the attention. If you read Revelation, it gives us a really robust pneumatology in that sense of the Spirit never. John, actually, twice in Revelation, tries to bow down and worship the Spirit. And the Spirit says, hold the phone. Like, uh, you don't do that to me. Direct your worship to the Father and the Son. And if you look in Revelation 4 and beyond at the throne room, Father and the son have thrones, but the spirit doesn't. Why? Because the spirit's depicted as in gathering the people and in dwelling the people,
1: directing mm-hmm. their gaze forward to the father and the son. this is why I'm a contemplative, because my experiences of the spirit have been not very fun and not very flamboyant, but this but very quiet. And and the more I've grown to know God, the more quiet I've become. And I feel like the spirit calls me deeper into this quiet. Which is the spirit's
0: in nature so, yeah. anyway. no i i'm I'm totally on board with that. I think you know, this whole idea of the that in sort of the hyper charismatic circles of the spirit doing fireworks as you will uh yeah, that's a huge uh, red flag to a lot of people and a turn off to a lot of people and, and in my own my own experience sort of parallels yours um i I feel like I can speak to the spirit and hear the spirit speak back. Um, And uh, a lot of my, my own spirit encounters um, come in writing prayers, Mm -hmm. like sitting down by myself and writing prayers. And that to me has been one of the most life-giving and sustaining spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines um, in my life. Mm -hmm is writing prayer. So I have a daily prayer blog or, uh, that I write through my church and have another guy who helps a little bit on that, but, um, I just, it's basically, you can have access to my prayer journal on there. Right. So, um, those quiet times where I'm writing prayers, ah, yeah, very refreshing. And I think the spirit, the spirit is operating behind the scenes, never quite drawing attention to itself. And so when I look at the hyper charismatic circles, uh, that is my my biggest critique, singing songs of the spirit, putting, trying to put the spirit on a pedestal and on display, mm-hmm. uh, when in fact the spirit, according to the scripture, resists that and has no interest mm-hmm. in that, yeah. but rather guide everyone's attention and gaze to the father and the son. Um it's it's just like intercessory prayer, right? Uh, and when I when I picture that, um, it's me. So so you can imagine um, when I, when I'm praying an intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of someone, uh, the way that I sort of imagine that or envision that is I have the the person that I'm praying for here beside me, uh-huh. um, but the Spirit has His arms around us and it literally is like carrying us or ushering us to the father and the son and so we know that it's the spirit that the spirit's there we're not looking at the spirit but the spirit's got us and we know that it's the spirit that it's that is is taking us to the father and the son um we also know that jesus is interceding uh, all the time on our behalf to the father and so um yeah i mean I, i think uh the spirit is always at work in us uh praying in us you know um so when when paul says pray without ceasing that yeah. isn't isn't saying that's something that you and i do
2: right
0: i not saying that's something that you and i initiate in fact the spirit is all 24 7 praying in us already interceding right. in us already um when paul says pray without ceasing he's essentially just telling you and me hey, take notice of what the Spirit's already praying in you and pray in concert.
1: I would say a better phrase might be commune without interruption. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, we we think we, our definition of prayer, again, besides the more orthodox or more ancient church, our idea of prayer is asking God to do things. And so the idea of doing that without ceasing is almost absurd. But when you understand there's, there's a much more embodied and rich kinds of prayer that makes yeah. more sense but um yeah
0: exactly
1: i like uh i like how we're, how we're you know vibing off the spirit i think um let's let's shift and talk about yeah. the holy spirit as the spirit of truth and the holy Spirit's role yeah. in terms of understanding God's truth and god's authority and truth so those yeah. are some, some of the things i wanted to just try to dig into and get your perspective on
0: sure yeah well I think uh, you, you had asked me several questions before. I'm, I think uh, one of the things we need to think about or answer before we we ask about sort of the spirit's role is, yeah, just where does the authority for God's truth come from? I think that's a, a great question. And um, so for me, I think uh, I have, of course, a lot of background in education, you know, in the academy. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the things you'll learn about um, pedagogically, that is teaching wise, uh, as an educator, is that there, there's this uh, thing called motivation theory. And the whole idea is, is how do teachers motivate students or how do the students get motivated?
2: Right. right.
0: Within motivation theory, we have essentially two dominant views right? That you have what's called intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Extrinsic motivation, there's like an external uh, source of reward. Intrinsic motivation, there's sort of an internal uh, source of reward. And I think that's scripture. Mm -hmm. With scripture, it's both. Uh, So when we ask where does the authority of God's truth come from, I want to say it's both intrinsic and extrinsic the authority for god's truth has both an intrinsic source to it but also an extrinsic source to it and so intrinsically i think the scripture itself uh the people wrote scripture humans wrote scripture god didn't write it right? right but he had people write it and he used people to write it and the people of god affirmed that this was an authoritative word from God for his people. So it's intrinsic. Like we, we want to obey this God. And there are places all throughout scripture where uh, the authors will say, thus saith the Lord, you know, or Mm -hmm. the Lord says. And so they are directly attributing certain things to God. Mm -hmm. And so there's this intrinsic uh, sort of source of authority where it's God or God's people uh, saying, this is an authoritative teaching, this is an authoritative word. But there's also a sense where the the authority of God's truth is extrinsic. And so we as readers have to affirm or reject that truth, that authority. Right? <laughs> there, there's a sense in which, yes, Scripture is authoritative, authoritative, it is the final authoritative word, But if you're not a believer then you don't believe that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you you, and there are some believers who don't believe that um yeah i think you have a hard time being a believer if you don't believe that but um there is a sense in which the scripture at least functionally in life only has authority over the people who have allowed it to have authority over them you can say well yeah in the end it it will finally have authority over them anyways but they can live in such a way that right now it doesn't have authority over them. Mm -hmm. And so readers then have to grant the scripture that authority. So there's an extrinsic source and, and I'm, I'm sort of saying, yes, that is authoritative and acknowledging the authoritativeness of it for my life or someone can reject it. And so Even if we readers don't give it extrinsic authority over us, the fact remains that it does still have an intrinsic authority. I think this is really important, that that we need to understand both the intrinsic source of scripture's authority, God, and the people of God or community of God, but also that scripture has an extrinsic source of authority, and that is coming
2: from the reader, each reader um yeah go ahead you're gonna say something
1: well okay so i think most christians would give scripture that kind of weight but i think maybe where we struggle and where there are differences is interpretation and yeah how do that, we come to it problem. Yeah, go ahead sorry
0: <laughs> that's been the problem since the reformation era since martin luther nailed his 95 theses yeah. Uh, against the selling of indulgences on the door of the Wittenberg Church in, uh, you know, Germany, uh, that that's been the problem ever since. Well, now, whose whose interpretation is
2: authoritative? Mm-hmm.
0: And mm-hmm. in Revelation one eleven and Revelation one nineteen, um, you have uh, John being told, write this or write what you see.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now think about that. Not. It's it's not this sort of the spirit whispering in God's uh, John's ear or God telling John what's right. It's 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 saying write John what you see. So there's this freedom and creativity for John to write what he's seeing, but with his own words and from his own perspective. Um, and so one of the questions you'd asked me before was what's the role of a codified or systematized Christian truth? Mm-hmm. Which, a little bit of a wordy question, but I like it, um, and I think yeah, I think as Wesleyans, we have a great response to that. So we we have um, let me let, there's, there's this is a quote from William Lane Craig. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he's this famous uh, theologian and apologist, and he says um, that at its best, uh, theology gives us a framework for thinking and speaking coherently about God and the world around us, right? So in the same way that the scientists develop models of the universe in order to understand it, he says, the theologian does the same thing with respect to God. And so again, yeah, I think at at its best, theology gives us this framework for thinking and speaking coherently about God and the world around us. And so as Wesleyans, we have this thing that has historically been called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that is a very healthy way for navigating this tension between what the church holds to be true and sacred versus or in in conjunction with what uh, interpretation I might hold on an individual level. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so the way that that tends to work is we start with Christian scripture. And in the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you might you can think of it as like four quadrants. Really, I tend to think of it as like a, a funnel or a filter.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And at the top of the filter, that first sort of um, grate or screen that my interpretation would or my belief would be filtered through is Christian scripture. Mm-hmm. So if I have a certain view on God or the world, then I have to put it through the filter of Christian scripture. And see, is it consistent with that first?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the second sort of filter in our funnel uh, is what we call Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they talk about the quadrilateral, take the word Christian off, which is a very problematic thing, by the way. Um, and so Christian scripture, filtered that first. And then Christian tradition. But what has the church said and believed about this since its inception? That's where like the church Fathers become very, very important, and the stream of Christian thought and tradition that's another dirty word among a lot of uh, yeah. people, Christian tradition right yeah. um, the people who have historically been Protestant and have held the paul uh you know Paul and the Gospels and have sort of neglected the other parts of the scriptures um have a very hard time with the idea of tradition um
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but we need to hold to that, and then the third sort of filter that that hits is Christian reason. Okay, does this make sense with uh, what Christians, how we how we like have interpreted the world and the sciences and these sorts of things? And then finally, Christian experience. Mm-hmm. Does this uh, does this align with my Christian experience? Now, in the wake of postmodernism, what happened was that people sort of took that quadrilateral or that funnel and flipped it. Mm-hmm. And so they said, no, oh, no, no, Christian experience needs to be the first thing we filter it through yeah. and do, do all the steps in reverse. But no, we need to to flip the funnel or mm-hmm. you know back on its head. And so for me, I think that's a very healthy way of going about what you're talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: When we talk about what is the role of the Holy Spirit in interpretation, uh, my response to that is that for the one who has the the indwelling of the Spirit, they have an integrity uh, that the non-believer doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only distinct difference between the Spirit-filled interpreter and the non spirit-filled interpreter. And so what I mean by that is that the Holy Spirit who lives in me is guiding me uh, toward truth. And that should be like my compass and my disposition uh, and a, a sort of interpretive honesty and integrity. And so that I'm not using the scripture to abuse or for self gain um or for a pet doctrine or something like that but that i'm i'm acting in integrity as i interpret and so when i start to veer from that like the holy spirit is nudging me or or letting me know that hey you are starting to to move out of bounds Um, out of the bounds of having an integrity-driven or integrity-based interpretation. You are doing something, you're handling the scripture right now in a way that shows a lack of integrity or a lack of honesty or a move away from honesty. And so it's really a conscience
2: thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Character. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the main role of the Holy Spirit in the process of interpretation but the better question is spirit what is my place in this story
2: yeah yeah
0: and so it isn't right th- there's no way really that you can just open the scripture to any verse that you want and be like oh how does this apply to me there's gonna be a lot of verse that don't apply to you but like, <laughs> uh, or, you yeah. know, sacrificing yeah. animals. And uh, this there's going to be a lot of stuff that doesn't apply to you. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so the, the question then is, okay, I open to this portion of the story. Now,
0: where do I find myself in it? And I think that's always the healthier, mm-hmm. the healthier question to go back to. So when we're reading about abraham and isaac for example or we're reading about adam and eve in the garden it's not how does this apply to me but okay there's that story and what is my place into that? how do i i'm going to enter into that story mm-hmm. and how does the story shape me mm-hmm. and what is my place in?
2: yeah
0: and i think that moves us away from the idea of Having to always bend scripture uh, to give us a a practical nugget to chew on each day or Mm -hmm. something to that effect. No, no, let's just find out where we are at in this story and live in it and live in the story.
1: Um, We have just a few more minutes. So, real quick, tell people what you do, the books you've written, where they could find you, your podcasts or sermons, perhaps.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm a lead, currently, I'm a lead pastor uh, here in Honolulu at the Bridge Church of Nazarene. I already mentioned that. And um, I do all kinds of things. I have a podcast called Prove Text, P R O V E, text. I do that with my buddy Fred Long. And we just dive deep into theology and scripture, uh, do language stuff in that. It's really, really a fun podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I do some theological poetry, kind of spoken word kind of mm-hmm. stuff on a podcast called Theotry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I have the Bridge Church Sermon podcast as well. I co-own a small publishing house. Been doing that for over a decade. It's called Glossa House. Mm-hmm. And uh, we produce a lot of biblical language kind of books. And um, I uh, began teaching this fall. Uh, switching to a new place, Bethel University out of Mishawaka, Indiana, but we'll have a, a satellite campus here at Oahu, so I'm teaching uh, for them and uh, doing biblical studies, biblical interpretation, and then language stuff as well. So uh, that's that's kind of what I'm doing these days, and uh, having a lot of fun doing. We have a a little endeavor going to called the Grafe Institute. Grafe is a Greek word for scripture, so we. I do a little magazine out of Grafe Institute, Biblical Studies Magazine, and then uh, um, we host, we work with some conferences and uh, hold, hold some classes and things like that, so yeah, that's kind of what I've got going on right now, and really enjoy this kind of stuff, talking theology. And...
1: If, if people wanted to find your books, should they go to your publishing house?
0: Yeah, there's some of them through Glo House, but I haven't published through them you can just do the traditional amazon just okay. google michael w how and okay I think i've written over 20 books at this point which is kind of cool um <laughs> somewhere right somewhere right around 20
2: it's wow. um, amazing
0: yeah i have several more uh coming down the line but yeah yeah that's kind of where i'm at these days
1: well i will try i will include links to your stuff and you can send those to me. Um yeah oh yeah the the blog the daily
0: prayer blog yes if you guys are interested in that that's slash blog and you can see some of those prayers nice yeah
1: yeah pretty fun Well thanks Michael um I think that's pretty good Yeah
2: Jason yeah, I mean there's a,
1: sure. I feel like there's a ton more to talk about but I think I like what we've gotten into in this conversation I think it's a good addition to um the conversation I've already had and I think A lot of the concepts you've mentioned kenosis like those kinds of things are terms and ideas i use a lot already so that will be familiar but thanks for taking the time
0: yeah thanks for uh chatting with me and inviting me it's always fun good catching up
1: i'm getting ready to have dinner you you probably just had breakfast (laughs) but have a good rest of the day all right brother take care yeah you too man bye
2: bye Looking for creative ways to launch your Biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glossa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting-edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit Glossahouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.